Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and today on the show, I have got Matt Fonslow and Matthew Scundrich joining me again. I uh, always love it when these guys come around. Uh, great conversations. Today, what we're going to talk about is things that we wish we knew coming into this industry, or advice that we wish we would have received or at least listened to when we first started our careers in the automotive industry, right? Fresh out of school or just getting into it. Um, What are some of the things, uh, you know, if we would have been aware of, we could have avoided some pitfalls. Uh, We could have avoided some hardship uh, or just made our lives easier, right? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And of course, uh, both these guys have really good advice. So, you know, if you're a younger person listening, you know, you're just starting your career in this field, maybe you're still in school, this is perfect for you. Um, but even if you're not, uh, you know, you might benefit from some of this really good info. You may be aware of some of these things if you've experienced it yourself, um, but you can always share this uh, information or this episode with a younger person that you know in this field uh, that would benefit hearing about some of this stuff uh, from people who have lived it. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump right in. I have the worst cough. I don't know. Like even at a shop today, they're like, we might need you to bring back a negative COVID test before (laughs) before we let you come back in. (laughs) I looked at the guy and I'm like, fine, I just won't come back. And he's like, "Uh, never mind about that test. I'm like, that's what I thought. (laughs) Did that three times. I ain't doing that test again. Is that the one where they swab your brain? Yeah. 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 When my wife had it, uh, the kids and I all got swabbed about five times between for school and for returning to work or, you know, for me to go to work. She yep. never had a freaking symptom. Zero <laughs> symptoms. But she the tested reason, positive? Yeah. The only reason she got tested was she was working at a um, inpatient treatment facility. Oh, okay. One of the, um, I guess, patients, we'll just call him a patient, uh, tested positive, very sick, like hospital sick. So that means everybody gets tested. Well, she popped positive along with many others. And, you know, so now she's in isolation at home. We have a, you know, not our house isn't that big, but there's a bedroom right next to a bathroom. Uh, so that became her area and, um, you know, kind of just waiting for the, crap to hit waiting for one of us the rest of us to get sick never happened yeah so i you know me and the kids all went in got tested all negative she has no symptoms after a few days uh you know like a week it's like man you should probably go in and get retested maybe you got a false positive and uh she goes back in pops positive again huh. so stays in isolation and uh really after a week and a half, it's just kind of like, man, no symptoms. The kids and I have bloody noses from the freaking tests. <laughs> uh, let's just um, 
let's just roll with it. So yeah, none of us tested uh, positive and she went however long the 15 or 16 days she was required to take off symptom free. That's so weird. Isn't it? So, yeah. So my case was different. Um, my dad tested positive and we had spent the weekend together working in the woodshed. Um, I don't know what we were building, building something or maybe we were just cleaning it. Who cares? Anyway. So he calls me on Monday. Hey, I, uh, I just took a COVID test and it's positive. And I was like, well, I'm at work. I don't care. Call me later. <laughs> and he texted me like, dude, I have COVID. You probably have it. I'm like, I don't care. I got cars to fix. Um, so I finished up the couple cars I was doing. I actually wore a mask the rest of that day, which everybody said, hey, why are you wearing a mask? Because I'm like anti-mask. And I'm like, uh, somebody at one of the shops was tested positive for COVID. So until I get a negative test, I'm just going to wear a mask. And so I went the next day and got a test. It came back positive. Well, my wife went with me. She was negative. So I went in our bedroom. We pulled our daughter out of school that morning didn't send her back to school next day and she tested negative. Well, my son is three at the time because he just turned four. They wouldn't even test him. Oh, he's too young. We, we can't test him. Okay. Hmm. So we're home Wednesday all day. All of us, I'm stuck in the bedroom. Wife just made me stay in the bedroom because her master bedroom has a bath in it. The next day, my son is like, dead tired just wants to be held you know like that little kid like you know he's sick and my daughter's the same way my wife's like they have to have it like it just makes sense because i like our kids we lay down with them to go to sleep so i lay with my son every night what are the chances that the dude like when he lays with you he puts his head right here he you put your arm here and he hugs your arm like and i mean bear hugs your arm like what are the chances i breathed on that kid for four hours and he doesn't have covid right so my wife's like oh we'll take we'll take brenda and get her tested so she set up an appointment for like 24 hours later came back negative but she felt a hundred percent better the next day and i'm like guarantee you she had it got over it well she's in kindergarten the school said that she has to wait my 14 days of quarantine before she can come back Five days into my quarantine, my wife goes, yeah, you know, I'm not feeling all that well. Wife goes and gets tested. She's now positive. My daughter's 14 days started all over again. Oh, man. She was home for three weeks. (laughs) One of my friends is a elementary school teacher and the janitor had, I think, you know, wife and two kids, I think. Same thing. Just like one after the other, but never overlapping much <laughs> so he ends up being forced to take off an insane amount of time they have to raise money for him uh because you know the school district or whatever is not going to pay for all that time off and he never tested positive he never got sick <laughs> and he's oh, in the house cool. no masks i mean how do you put masks on these you know they're young young kids yeah yeah and they're all sick as dogs and he's like oh, okay waiting for my turn Never, never went positive and never got sick. Crazy. Yeah. Must be all the chemicals. (laughs) That's what I said. It's all that disinfected. (laughs) Yeah. My wife had it in November and I don't know. She had a headache for a day, but she did the quarantine and I, I had to stay away from school. They wouldn't let me on campus, obviously. Um, But I, I went and got tested and I 
mine came up negative. I had no symptoms. And I get shops calling me every day. And I tell them, I was like, Hey, my wife tests positive. I tested negative. I don't have any symptoms. They're like, we don't care. Just come fix the car. We'll park yep. it outside. <laughs> like nobody cared in, in the shop scenario anyways. Um, I don't know what you guys have seen, but like in the actual shops, and I mean, this is going back a little ways like last year, but when you're back with the techs, I wasn't a single person wearing masks anymore, no. maybe up front, but that was about it. Yeah. It was- yeah. Uh, up front, everybody was supposed to wear masks and, and I shouldn't say supposed to everybody, everybody did. Yeah. Whether they believed in it or not, I didn't care. It was all about perception, perception. of the client. Yep. Yes, exactly. You got, you got to represent. You're wearing the shirt. I don't care if you're at a restaurant, wherever. Put the mask on if you know, you're representing the company, especially at the company in the waiting area. But you got in the back. Uh, maybe, maybe if they were working right next to each other for an extended period of time, maybe one of them might throw a mask on just in case. But it was a non-issue. Uh, one guy, one guy tested positive. He was sick for a couple, two, three days, and then he was symptom-free and came back. So. Now, my symptoms were about once an hour. I found it super hard to breathe, like to the point where I was actually legitimately concerned. I could tell I was breathing, but it. It was like somebody stuck a 45 pound weight on my chest and it would last about five minutes. That would suck. And it's a little scary, but I was like, eh, whatever. I actually got enough concern that I went and bought the little oxygen meter to stick on your finger. Cause I'm like, if it's getting low, I may just like have my wife take me to the hospital. Who knows? It never dropped below 99%. Even when I had those like weird attacks, I just think it was a muscle spasm to be honest with you. But I was also super tired. Like I had no energy, but I had shops bringing cars and dropping them off in the driveway. Hey, can you calibrate this ADOS? Hey, can you look <laughs> at this? And I told them I had COVID and I couldn't leave the house. So like, whatever you got a driveway, we'll drop them off calls when you're done. <laughs> and so my wife was watching and I was watching. They'd bring the COVID gun, you know, the battery COVID gun and they'd spray the car and close the door and wait a couple minutes. And, Two people would chit chat, then they'd take the car and leave, and I'd send them a bill. So I worked a little bit, but not much. <laughs> Isn't that just the auto industry, though? Like, it doesn't matter what ailment you have or injury you have. These cars got to get fixed. You got to get in here. <laughs> oh, I broke my leg. Okay, well, uh, can you be in tomorrow and fix these cars? <laughs> I, I sprained my ankle and refused to admit I sprained my ankle, despite the fact that I called my wife on her cell phone from the back dock. I stepped off my back dock wrong, holding a real heavy bag. And, I mean, I couldn't walk. I was crying. It hurt so bad. And I'm like, no, it's okay. Just give it a couple of minutes. You know, and then finally, like the shock hit me and it like I had no pain. So I walked in the house. I'm like, I'm going to work. I put my boots on. I went to a job. I like called <laughs> her crying. I'm like, I don't know if I can drive home. <laughs> it was so sore. Yep. And then uh, she's like, well, I didn't go to work knowing you'd be back. So she took me up and they're like, yeah, you sprained it pretty bad. You need to go home. Don't walk on it for three days. I'm calling everybody. Oh, I sprained my ankle. I can't do anything for three days. They're like. We'll pick you up and drag you here. Just come fix this car. <laughs> yep. You don't have to walk. We'll push you in a wheelchair. <laughs> well, so this was your idea, Skunder, mm-hmm. just so everybody's aware. Um, no, I thought it was a really good idea, actually, is uh, we could go over uh, five or roughly five 
I realized after last time, you know, it's numbers don't really mean anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the five things you wish you would have known or somebody would have told you uh, when you started out in this field or down your career path. And I, I thought that was a really good idea. I mean, uh, for young people listening or people that are just starting out, but I mean, honestly, just anybody in this industry, it's good to hear perspective from other people, uh, things they didn't realize right away and advice they wish they would have gotten sooner. Um, so yeah, I, I think this will be a, maybe a good topic. I already know my first one. You might as well go. I want to probably go. the same as mine. No, I doubt it. Oh. Um, mine's mine's kind of odd because I was giving this advice to somebody. There's a girl who works at a a, a Firestone, and she's really kind of like wanting to learn the industry, but nobody will mentor her because she's a girl. And so her thing now is to buy nice tools to show that she's willing to put in the effort, right? Because everybody looks at a toolbox. Oh, you got a big toolbox. I looked at her and I'm like, do not buy a Snap-on toolbox. It's not worth the money. I'm like, I wish somebody would have told me it is never worth the money to buy a Snap-on toolbox. <laughs> like, it, it's just not. Mine now sits home in my garage. It's like a $7,000 box that I bought. And I'm like, what do I, I, you know, and there's so many quality boxes out there now. Like, you don't need a name brand toolbox. It just holds your tools, man. Like, it doesn't make you a penny. Now, yep. I will say, buy a Snap-on hand ratchets. And hand tools. The sockets sure. are well worth the money. Yeah. The toolbox? No. Do not buy an expensive toolbox. It's yeah, not I, worth it. See, I was going to go the opposite a little bit, but, but not in agreement with the, what you brought up. Secondly, <laughs> is when I was in school, I wish they would have had a tech or one of the instructors would have just taken us aside and leveled with us and just said, you know, I'm not supposed to be brand conscious here. The, those those guys out there, those truck guys, they're they're good guys. But if this is going to be your chosen profession, use that discount to your advantage and invest in like the Snap-on tool set. Because I didn't, you know, I oh, didn't. You like, didn't wanna, when you were in school. No, I didn't want to oh. commit, so I bought the cheap uh, from the Nap. We had a Napa store at the time. We don't anymore, but at the time we had Napa, and it was inexpensive and i'm like i you know a socket's got to be a socket a wrench has got to be a wrench so is how freaking bright i was and that's what i got well okay through school no biggie you know other kids had craftsman stuff and other ones got went for the snap-on stuff and okay out of all those kids i'm the only one left you know fixing cars for a living in the trade at all but you get into like a shop environment and all of a sudden you're borrowing sockets because, you know, your 10 millimeter won't reach down inside of something, you know, a, a, a recess or something, you know, right. the, my Napa one or my craftsman one, or even like Matco wouldn't go down into that recess snap ended, you know, and this wrench would slip. I can't really get a socket on it and it's got to be a wrench. Borrow somebody's flex drive doesn't slip. Works fine. Flank drive, flank drive. Yeah, so now all those tools I bought to begin with are in my garage. That's what I use on lawnmowers and crap. And I had to rebuy all the snap-on stuff at full price. And it's just like, you idiot. If they'd have just taken me aside and said, you know what? It might hurt a little bit. If you're going to stay in this, it's, you're ahead of the game. If you're not going to stay into this, 
you're getting this huge discount, something to the tune of 50% off. You can turn around and sell it. Yeah. You can turn around and sell them either break even or profit a little bit. And no, you know, nobody did that. Nobody just kind of brought me over or not just me, everybody just brought you over to the side and said, Hey, just think about this for a minute, man. I would have done it in a heartbeat. And in retrospect, it's kind of one of those beat your head against the wall type things. Just like, ah, dumb, just so dumb. (laughs) So, we, uh, I was very lucky when I was going to Universal Technical Institute. Um, they offered that 50% off, and I was kind of in the field, right? Like, I was detailing cars, and then when I didn't have cars to detail, I'd work at the mechanic shop. So, like, I always had something I was doing. And my dad's like, Hey, didn't you say they offer you like a discount on the snap on tools? I'm like, Yeah, it's like 50%. He's like, well, Why don't you buy? buy a bunch of tools now, man. It'd be worth it if you stay in this. And I'm like, I ain't spending that kind of money. It's stupid for a socket. Well, my dad <laughs> knew people who who were in the industry and they kind of had given my dad advice. No, he needs to buy them now. And so I went and talked to the Snap-on guy there because we had a guy there. And I said, hey, my dad wants to know how much can I buy? And, and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if I put a list together and it's $30,000, can I buy that? And he's like, no, you're limited to $10,000 um, of the discounted price. And then if you bought certain things, we got like a free $1,000, right? So you basically could get $11,000 worth of tools. I remember he's like, but your your free $1,000 tool can only be one tool, so make it an expensive one. I got the Snap-on BJP1 set. It had just come <laughs> out. It was like nice. seven hundred fifty bucks, and I was like, "Yep, that'll be my free one." And I did. I went in the next. I went in like two weeks later, and I was like, "Here's my list." I spent nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight dollars, and my dad co-signed Snap-on credit with me because he's like, "This will be the best best money I've ever helped you spend." And to this day, he was right because I bought all my sockets, my wrenches. Um, Snap-on had an eight to thirty or no eight to thirty-six millimeter wrench set. They weren't the flank drive; they were the regular. But that set paid for itself when it came to doing alignments and other and AC jobs. It was totally, yeah, you're right. If you're in school, spend the money on tools right now. It will woefully pay for itself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you got to be careful, though, then, yeah, once you get out, you got to consider the spending. Because the thing that I saw a lot was younger technicians or fresh technicians coming to Firestone and maybe they hadn't even been through school. They're just hired here. You're going to do uh, tires and oil changes and they kind of got a feel for it. And now they want to send them some, you know, brakes and suspension. So they're buying tools and these, the, the guys on the trucks and I realize it's their yeah. jobs, um, their salesmen, but they'll get them those credit accounts and they'll get them in all kinds of debt. And I, I hated to see that because I saw a lot of people that would get to a point and, you know, Firestone's got a lot of turnover, but I know a lot of shops do. And now all of a sudden they got a $10,000 box that is empty because they don't have that many tools. And then they leave to go do something else. They leave the industry and they got this huge bill. So um, yeah, I'm always with my students. I tell them be very cautious on dumping. And uh, I 100% agree about the toolbox thing. I had the dumpiest toolbox and actually I should say toolboxes because I had two ones that I slapped together to make a big toolbox because I didn't want to spend any money on a box. If I had a thousand dollars spent on Tools is going to be on tools that make me money, <laughs> not my not my box because it doesn't do anything for me as long as it locks. <laughs> that's all I need. The, the yeah. only reason I own a Snap-on toolbox is because 
<clears throat> I had gotten married. Sears was no longer really around here. Like we had a Sears, but they didn't have the small eight drawer cabinets I had anymore. And I was out of room. And the Snap-on guy says, hey, man, you know that box you're looking at my truck at today? I was like, yeah, why? What happened? He's like, I didn't lock it and went around a corner and I dented every drawer because it opened. He's like, I'll give it to you at 45% off. And so I called my wife and I'm like, hey, it's a pretty good deal. It's like triple the room I have, but it's still like six. I think it was like six grand or something before tax so with tax it was like seven thousand dollars and i was like what do you think and she's like why is a toolbox so much money and i'll never forget we drove over to the local wawa met the snap-on guy and she was looking at the toolbox about the thing that i was about to spend like seven thousand dollars <laughs> on and she's like well you need it for work you might as well get it so i i bought it but I mean, if he wouldn't have given me a deal on it because he dented the drawers, I wouldn't have bought it. And what was funny is right after I bought it, two weeks later, he came into the shop. He's like, oh, I got all your new drawers. I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, I can't warranty them on the truck till it's sold. So then he warrantied out all the dented drawers. So I'm like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out for me. But that's the only reason I bought it, right? Like, But I was you. I had and, – and I hate my toolbox now because if I need to move it, it's a pain in the ass. Yep. I mean, it's a triple bank. It weighs 700 pounds empty. <clears throat> but my but my Sears one, me and Fanslow, we could pick it up, throw it in the bed of a pickup truck, you know, and I had three of them, and you just pick them all up individually, strap them down, you can move them. Um, uh, I don't know. I I am hindsight. I wish I wouldn't have bought it, especially now that I went mobile. I really wish I wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this says about our industry. But our, I remember our local tool guys would come around the Cornwall guy and I don't remember if it was a snap on or Mac, but it doesn't matter. So they, they have these big trucks and everything. And they, when they'd sell a toolbox, they made a point in their sales pitch that they would move that box for free. If you were going to another local yep. shop, that was part of the deal. If you yep. bought a yes. toolbox from them, yep. they would do it. They'll come pick up your box for you. I don't And again, I don't know what that says about our industry yeah. that that's that common, but uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to get them well, around. That's for sure. And even like I was, so I moved from my tire kingdom to a one automotive in Longwood. It was a 50 minute drive. And the guy's like, I'm not moving your box. That's ridiculous. Cause he doesn't even service that area. But the one guy there was really old and he retired. Well, the, t the tool truck guy came, picked up his box and moved it to his house. But he had triple bank, a top cabinet. And I was like, I bet you moving that thing's three or $400 as a tow bill. I, I don't know what it costs. Cause when I moved mine, I have a buddy with a low boy trailer. We just pushed it on there and strapped it down and I drove it. But I'm like, I bet you moving a box is three or $400. And people don't take that into account when they buy that 96-inch triple bank Epic, you know, with the power bank charger on it. You know, it's a pain to move. Yeah. And just like you were saying, Sean, I off the top of my head, I can think of three young, younger techs. Some of them had, like, some experience. So they weren't, like, fresh out of school. Mm-hmm. But man, you know, trying to coach them up on don't go on that tool truck and start buying. You know, yeah. we have some basic sets for you. We have some stuff so you can work. 
And then whatever you need, you know, here's the shop toolbox. And then when you're constantly borrowing a single thing, think about buying it. And if you can pay for it outright, like don't get much of a truck account going. Right. And, you know, three out of three, they freaking go and do it. And just like you said, like the magic number is 10 grand. That's the magic freaking number. Toolboxes, tools, impacts. I mean, just like they went crazy, almost like they were sold on low interest and $20, $25 a week payments or $50 a week. So whatever, the, whatever the number ends up being, I yeah. don't know what it is, right. but so then I have to take the tool guys aside and cause I can't trust the employees and just basically ask them to give them a year before they really sell them much of anything. No, no truck accounts or, or um, credit accounts, mm-hmm. uh, especially the young guys like jeepers crammy, let them get a, few months of work under their belt and making an income and figuring out what they need instead of just, man, it's like they hand them the catalog and yeah, make their wish list. And that like they hand them the wish list. I think some of the tool guys have a a, um, legal pad type size thing with the tools that you wish for. And the next Uh thing you know, it's like, Oh, we can make that happen for $30 a week. Really? $30, $30 a week until the end of time. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen you know, a yeah. meme of the Snap-on truck parked at the cemetery. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's like thirty dollars a week with this truck, thirty dollars a week with that truck, thirty dollars yeah. a week with that truck, and now it's ninety dollars a week, and they're like, "Holy crap, I'm broke." Adds up quick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my big purchase, um, because like I said, I was working at a shop when I started going to school for it. I didn't detail at all. I just fully fixed cars. So I kind of was, I had bought in a cheap sap, snap on or craftsman 300 piece tool set just to do stuff. And so I kind of knew what I was borrowing all the time, sockets, ratchets. So my 10 grand did not include any boxes. That was purely hand tools, wrenches, sockets, ratchets. I bought, I bought standard and metric quarter inch, three eighths, half inch. Um, and I even bought chrome half inch standard metric and i bought impact standard metric in yeah. half inch i mean that stuff adds up i mean them sockets are ridiculous today um i bought all the torx bits all those specialty little bits that you saw all the time because it was 50 percent off so my 10 grand i felt was super well spent i mean the oddball thing was like i bought my own tap set right because I'm like, oh, the snap-on tap set would be nice to have. If I ever break a bolt, I don't have to worry about it. I know I'll have the tap. So there was some oddities in there, but there are things that because I worked in the industry and I had borrowed my bosses, maybe not three times, but it was I borrowed it enough to go, well, at 50% off, I know later down the road I'll appreciate having that. So I'll go ahead and spend that money now. And mm-hmm. And I had really thought about this list, and I had asked other people and – I will say that most of my professors, or call them professors because, I don't know, that's just a college thing. But most of the instructors at, at UTI, like I, I brought in my list for a couple of days. Like, hey, man, I'm thinking about buying this. What do you think? And there was a couple of them who were like, dude, don't even buy standard stuff. You don't you don't need it. Like, how often do you work in something standard? Well, I was going in 2005, and I was like, well, we still kind of see it out in St. Cloud. And so I bought it. But they were right. I, I should have listened and not bought it because – I think a year later, I never used it after that. (laughs) 
I don't know, up here, I ended up using my standard stuff all the time, but we'd get like equipment and stuff like lawnmowers and snowmobiles and four wheelers and a lot of that stuff. But probably now it's now metric, but back then it was, it was standard, but I was like having that half inch that would cover for a 13 when I was, you know, almost stripped out. I'll, I'll get the half (laughs) inch on there. I knew all the size correlations between the two, but yeah. Yep. Same here. It's even now I still once in a while have to go grab standard stuff, especially in the summer when the, you know, the old cars come out. Um, A lot of them are still, or not still, but a lot of them are standard, not metric. So yeah, you if you do? hit your metric hard enough, it'll go onto a standard size nut. Yeah, I would, I would think <laughs> Scundridge would run into that all the time because nothing kills the cars down there. Up here, we have rust and corrosion. You know, His average vehicle is a 2020, though. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> it's true. I, it's true. I, yeah, I, I, okay. So, when I worked in a shop, I used them quite a bit. But now that I'm mobile, I'm like, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Like, uh, like if you go on my on my truck right now, I have all my Snap-on stuff. I don't have anything standard in there. Matter of fact, I tell people, if your car is more than 10 years old, please don't ask me to work on it. The answer is automatically a no. <laughs> like, when you're know. working... It's like 80s day, or 80s week, early 90s week this week. I was born in 87. Yeah. yeah. You don't work on cars before you were born. That's the rule. Uh, I do. <laughs> not, not always, like enthusiastically but listen uh, if it has a vacuum controlled fuel injector we definitely are not working on it yeah for me it's carburetors if it's got a carburetor i'm like yeah there's somebody that knows that better than me i'm good (laughs) but even those guys are going away yeah they're really yeah they're florida and they're fixing all my lawnmowers that's what's going on (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what'd you do in your previous life? Oh, you know, I was a mechanic down at that Gen old GM dealer. I remember when we got our first throttle body injected Corvette. Boy, oh boy, <laughs> did I lose some money not being able to tune that carburetor. <laughs> They're phenomenal on lawnmowers, so that's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so... The next thing I would tell anybody, don't work on any vehicle that's been tuned, modified, deleted, (laughs) hacked. (laughs) You don't care how you want to put it. If any factory and you don't do that kind of stuff, walk away. Yeah, especially now with the diesel stuff. Not that that I'm insinuating you should get into tuning and all that, but at least if they came in that way, you could get them back out now. What do you do? You're you're either towing it to some specialist that maybe has old work workarounds, or the 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 fix is return it back to factory, and that makes people choke when it get into the prices. With I mean, you're you're putting everything back on because it's gone, missing, threw it threw it away. Yep. Yeah, I I quickly learned to back away usually my answer is if there's anything aftermarket like a remote start or a security system or yeah some sort of tune, <laughs> let's take it off the car that's step one and then we'll see where we're at we'll move forward from there and yeah people don't want to hear that unless i mean 
unless it's disabling the vehicle, which does happen. Uh, they, they don't want to go that route. They're like, well, can't you do this and that? Uh, like, talk to the person who installed it. Maybe they can help you out with that. And, and the worst part about the tuned vehicles is it's not the guy who originally had it tuned and deleted you're dealing with. Right. It's mm-hmm. a second owner yep. who yep. knows exactly. nothing about it. And when you ask them, oh, where'd you get this? Do you have the tuner? Do you have this? Do you have this? Because you know that you could pull the tune out, update the PCM or replace it, and then put the tune back in if he has it. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not tuned or deleted. And it's like, dude, you just blew black smoke for a quarter mile down the road. How do you not know it was tuned? Are you an idiot? And yeah, and and yesterday, Monday, I don't know, maybe last week, who knows? All my cars are running together, so sorry. Um, transmission shop called me. Hey man, we need you to come program this, uh, Ford valve body. Okay. Well, and he's like, Hey, can you make sure the PCMs update too? Sure. No problem. It's a diesel. I didn't even ask if it was tuned, right? Cause he told me to make sure the PCMs updated cause the PCM and the valve body all work together. Boop. Hit the button, hit the key. Why doesn't it start? It started before I started <laughs> Hit the key again. Noticed it has exhaust temperature out of range. Oh, that's a problem. I lean underneath the truck and look, and I'm like, oh, that's a big problem. Yeah. It's still sitting there because they don't know how to. Nobody, nobody will delete it again because they're like, nope, you need to put it back. Yep. Damn. I mean, that's what I did. I didn't even think about it. Never once occurred to me. You know, the service bulletin addresses this issue directly. Firmware <laughs> update. So hit that button. Hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> And then now it's getting pushed out of the shop. And that was before they really came down on them. So I was able to get a tune and uh, save the day. Uh, but then I had a Jeep come in. Just as, just exactly as you say, the second owner had no idea it had a tune in it. It's a Jeep with a, what, the three, is it three seven liter diesel? Mercedes, essentially. It's a POS. That's all we need to know. Yeah, it's a POS. Well, yeah, they had no idea. And it's set in throttle body codes. There's no throttle body on it. So trying to, yeah. The, the, they, there was a throttle body, not so much for throttling, but to create some vacuum for EGR. But that's okay. all gone. EGR is gone. Throttle body has gone. Everything's gone. And uh, yeah, it's like sets this code goes into a uh, reduced power mode and they want me to fix it. And I'm like, uh, the, <laughs> fix, the fix is to put it back the way it was and then figure out you know, if there's any other issues. And I, I forget what the quote was to do at all the estimate, but it was, it was significant. Yeah. Yeah. And probably approaching, probably approaching a third of the value of the vehicle. I would say. And then in Skundrich's view, then it was at least twice as much as the car was worth. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> per market value is about a third of it. And they wanted nothing to do with it. And I called the tune company that, you know, had the tune in there. I figured that out and yeah, we can't help you. They, you're going to have to see if you can find somebody that used to install these tunes and maybe just maybe they've got an old file or a file wouldn't have to be old, but got the file that has this everything the right way and then they can upload it. So I gave the customer all that information. Here's the estimate for how we would go about repairing your vehicle. And I haven't seen them since. I'm guessing maybe they put a for sale sign in it and <laughs> made it somebody else's problem. Yeah, you got to know when to say no to certain things. 
uh, and you, uh, we all want challenges, uh, you know, but uh, there's just certain ones that it's not worth <laughs> getting married to. <laughs> and we've all been there. <laughs> and that, and, and you bring up a valuable point. You got to know when to say no. That doesn't just apply to these tuned vehicles. That applies to a job you don't have a special tool for. Like if you're doing the Mazda timing belt and you don't have the tools to hold that frigging crank pulley in there and you think, oh, I'm going to make it. Let me tell you a trade secret. You're not. I must diagnose two a week now. Oh, man, I, I put this timing stuff on there. Now it doesn't start. Hey, can I see your Mazda special uh, tools to do the timing? Oh, no, we don't have them. Oh, okay, we'll take it apart, find somebody with the tools, borrow them, put it back together with the tools, and it'll start. That would be $150. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even pull any tools out of my truck. Like know when yeah. to say no. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even special tools. Like follow some of the um, Facebook groups pages and read how many of these techs are working for shops with no service information. Like their service information is whatever they can Google, and then it's just figure it out on your own. And I'm not even thinking like diag type stuff. I'm thinking take it apart, put it back together. You wing it. And then mm-hmm. when things go sideways, you're on the for all these different enthusiast forums trying to figure it out. And I miss the uh, old you, Facebook. <laughs> but it just <laughs> wouldn't the advice be that you you got to find an, a good environment for yourself, and that would not be a good environment. You know, sure, maybe the pay is okay and whatnot. But how are you how are you gonna really start improving without having like the basic necessities such as information and like you said, the tools to do the job properly? I, yeah. I don't know. It's almost like I don't I don't know how it would translate, but it's almost like cultural as a mechanic from I don't know, the blacksmithing days, you know, when the horseless carriages start first started coming out and the mechanics were the blacksmiths that we get a kick out of the workaround, uh, the building our own tools out of whatever's laying around the shop. There's some angle iron over here and duct tape and what, you know, whatever chicken wire mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'm going to make the tool just like the picture on the forum or I, you know, sure. I don't know what, what that is, but we'd seem to really get off on that. No, that that is long gone. I I realized I lost more money being that way than just telling the boss, "Hey, f off, I'm not doing it." <laughs> well, especially now, right? With techs kind of have some leverage in their favor that if you're capable or even beyond capable, like if you have a good attitude and willing to learn and can learn and find the shop every morning on time that you you're probably almost instantly hireable find the shop in the morning yeah i like how you said Sorry. That. That was, that was like, i'm over here going i have no idea what else he just said i'm trying not to die laughing dead. You, you're in a good you're in a good position to improve your situation both like very selfishly like your income benefits all that which is, you know, that's good. But also as a professional, you can improve your situation. And 
man, start rewarding the, you know, for lack of a better term, the quote unquote good shops, however you want to interpret that, you know, I don't want to get into a big semantics battle, but start yeah. these good shops start getting the payoff of making the event investment in tooling, training, compensation, uh, all that, that, you know, you're in a not so great situation. They're not interested in upgrading or changing some of that, you know, whatever culture, if you will, or environment or go, go to a place that will, uh, we seem to be really anchored to bad situations too. And I don't know if that's a blacksmithing no. thing too. I don't know. No, you know what it is. We don't, <laughs> we're, we're there. We're making money. We have a, we have a paycheck. We know what the paycheck is going to be roughly at that place. We don't mind the status quo of what's going on. Sure, we'd like better, but to uproot our whole system of comforts is just so, so much anxiety that we won't do it. So you, yeah. so you sit there and you kill yourself for nothing. Like learning to leave a job is well worth it. Now, I, I kind of went to the extreme. Um, I'll tell you a little funny story about moving jobs. So I got engaged. I moved jobs. I was there for like four months. We got married. I moved jobs. I was at that job for a couple months. I moved jobs. So I was at that job for a couple months. I think I had like six jobs within like the first year I was married, right? I just shop hopped. And it was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences to shop hop. Now, granted, the one job I left was because it was an hour drive one way to work, right? Like That's just ridiculous to do when you're newly married because you want to actually come home. There's stuff to do when you come home. As opposed to now. <laughs> so you're being recorded. That's okay. She won't listen. <laughs> so um, I, I shopped up and I realized that I was getting more money every time I hopped, which was kind of a bonus. But at the same time, I went from the shop that was an hour away where I was like, hey, man, it says I need this tool to do this Maserati clutch. Do we have it? Uh, yeah, we'll get it. Just push the car all back. I'll order that tool. Well, are you, you think we're going to do more Maserati clutches? Cause like, seriously, like it's a $6,000 tool. Well, we'll get it. We'll probably get more in if we have it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he'd buy the tool. Then I went to a shop where the guy was like, oh, I have Mitchell on CD. If you need anything newer, let me know. I'll call my buddy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm not working here long. Like yeah. that's, that's the end of that. Yeah. There, there's something to that though. Uh, I remember reading an article in boy i think it was motor magazine and there was a columnist uh out of new out of new york bob cirillo i don't know if he writes for him anymore but he's the shop owner and he would talk about um some of his very best techs very best hires were rehires like you know as a manager shop owner you you can't be delusional in that you're providing such a great culture, such a great job, but you know, it doesn't hurt to be honest too, that maybe you do, maybe you do offer a pretty decent place to work. And with that confidence and hopefully you're you know, accurate in that confidence, somebody leaves because the grass is greener on the other side and they go find out it isn't not rehiring him back could be a mistake because some of his very best, most loyal employees are rehires they went and saw that the grass isn't really greener over here darn it 
mm-hmm. you know, it must be the way the sun hit it. I don't know, but they come back and they're now loyal. Like I had it really good. I didn't recognize it. Now I do. There's a lot to that, you know, and, and on both sides from a management standpoint of the rehire and the technician standpoint to go and try a few different things and learn like, Hey, you know what? This place is a really good place to work. Like, okay, nowhere's, nowhere's perfect. But this imperfection is way better than that imperfection. Except for <laughs> yeah. Fanslow shop. It's pretty perfect. No, it's so far from perfect. Fanslow's there. It First one, I'm perfect. there. Yeah. yeah. Only... <laughs> That's why I want to work there. You're like my little hero. I look up. To oh, man. You're <laughs> so raise your standards. <laughs> so, so raise your standards. It's like Matt Fanslow, Justin Morgan. <laughs> Morgan, would be, Morgan would be way up there. I'm way down. Me and Bob Hype were kind of on the bottom. <laughs> I don't know him very well to like have an opinion about the guy other than his Facebook post cracked me up. He's awesome. He's awesome. He, he's, I don't, he's so much smarter than he will ever let on. <clears throat> I'm so much stupider than I ever let on either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole bunch of people really whipped. They think, yes. <laughs> think I know I'm, they think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no. No idea. I just pointed service information. Look, it Man. says this. <laughs> did and did like, you read oh, the you service want... info? <laughs> and they're yeah, like, I... do you know what that means? No, but I read it. So yeah. now I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, make it up as I go and lots and lots of luck. Lots of luck. Um, I got one uh, on my list here. Uh, so, I don't know. It's not... I guess it's not totally automotive related, but it is for our industry, especially if you're a technician. Uh, and I tell all my students this, especially the young guys and gals that are going out to start and they're in their early twenties is to take care of your body. Um, and I wish somebody would have told me earlier than I figured it out myself, but I I'm sure every single one of us and people listening know or experience it themselves, I've been doing this forever and it's tough on your body and you've got surgery after surgery and you got slip discs and bad joints and this hurts and this aches and the surgeries start mounting up. And even if you leave the industry, it leaves, uh, it leaves your body in shambles. Um, so I tell everybody that are starting this out, you can still, you can do this for a long time it's still going to be tough, but start taking care of your body early and it'll pay off in the long run. Actually, find some exercises like honestly go to the gym exercise somehow um build up some sort of you know muscle on your body because it'll protect your joints it'll protect your discs take care of those injuries early you know all the other stuff eating and sleeping and drugs and you know avoid this is what i'm going with but um just it, it, <laughs> Whoops, it's i took that way the wrong way um <laughs> uh, it, it's something that when you're in your 20s you can get by without observing it without paying attention to it. And then all of a sudden it catches up to you when you're 30, 35, and then you're in a world of hurt, literally. And this job is tough to do if you're in a lot of pain and you're getting surgeries all the time. So that's just anybody that's listening, (laughs) start taking care of that stuff now. In keeping with that, is is there anything in the curriculum, like be yours specifically, Mm -hmm. um, where they just, where and maybe on teenagers and early 20 somethings, it's it would just fall on deaf ears. I don't know, but where you take time to discuss and, and demonstrate 
how to lift properly, you know, lift with your head, not your back, straight back, lift with your legs, what, you know, whatever that is. Um, the, I remember getting taught the carpal tunnel exercises for your wrists. Um, mm-hmm. they have exercises for that. Yeah. And I don't know if carpal tunnel is quite the thing it used to be because of the cordless tools. I mean, if we would, I suppose it'd be from the impact of them, but now the, the mechanics gloves with the uh, ergonomics or the gel in them maybe dampen it to the point where carpal tunnel isn't quite the thing it used to be. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just wondering out loud. Uh, but I know back in the day where there's a lot of ratchet work, a lot of wrench work where your wrists are turning a lot. Carpal it's my tunnel fingers. Is a big deal. My, if I hold my fingers up, I don't know if you can see them. They're like crooked. Like this one bends over this way. And that's just from years of wrenching and that'll never be the same. That's just, yeah. I don't know that there's a way to prevent that, I guess, but no, probably it, not. It's just to go as a show that's tough on your body, no matter what you do. I um, never heard the carpal tunnel thing. I'm very shocked right now. Yeah. I I'm anti-air tool. I knew about it um, when I was really little from. Uh, farmers and then really loggers. They used the loggers around here would call it uh, white finger, and it was, okay. the chainsaws had such horrible anti-vibration systems on them back in the you know whatever eighties, okay, uh, and stuff like that. That they it was a regular thing. They're all going in for surgery to get that you know cut around the wrist. Um, but that was super super common, and then uh, auto repair. And in school, they would talk about it and, you know, stretch your yeah. wrists out and try not we, to twist your wrist as much as, you know, reasonable. And like you do some you know, safety stuff as far as, yeah, lifting, you know, working above your head, kneeling on the concrete, all that stuff. And it, I, I could say it's probably not super in depth, but I give my guys and gals a little spiel before they head out, like talk to some of the older people and get a feel for what they go through, you know, 20 years into this business, not to get scared, but just to be aware of what can happen. Speaking of health, being in the body shops all day, hearing protection. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Everybody makes fun of me, but I carry my shooting. I have the walkers XL shooting earmuffs and they take, uh, two triple A's, but you can turn them on. There's a microphone in there. So if somebody yells at you like, hey, the car's on fire, you can hear them yell at you, the car's on fire, right? Nice. But if the guy next to you is jamming out with his air hammer for the next hour, it muffles the sound. Um, That's a good but one. Everybody makes fun of me because I'll go into a body shop with my shooting earmuffs on and they're always yelling. And I'm like, dude, stop yelling. <laughs> and the other thing that's nice is, you know, if a shootout happens... Uh, I'm already prepared because the earmuffs are on, so it's okay. We can, you know. But, yeah, I don't understand why techs are so anti-earmuffs. Now, I'm very anti-glove. I don't wear rubber gloves. I don't wear mechanics gloves. Like, if my hands are greasy, they're greasy. I don't care. Um, I want to feel the nut, feel the bolt. Um, I, I just don't like having gloves on. Now, granted, I'm in Florida, so... My bolts are always nice and warm, and they're not minus 20 degrees, so my attitude might change in Minnesota. But... I don't understand why people are so against hearing protection in a shop. And no, your headphones do not count as hearing protection. They're actually <laughs> you probably turn making them it up. worse. Yeah. Your hammer is going. You got to turn them up so you can hear the music. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the other thing. So I bought the uh, 
they now sell the Walker XL Bluetooth. So now it pairs with my phone. And, it, and, and so now I can have a conversation with somebody on the phone and hear music. But because it's a isolated, dampening sound, I can still have the volume low enough to enjoy the music. Yeah. And then when somebody talks, it dims the music volume so that I can hear them talk. And have, so I wear them all the time and people make fun of me. And eye protection is the other one. Why why people don't wear eye protection yeah. too is beyond me. You could I had a piece of metal in my eye. I had to go to the hospital. They used an mm-hmm. electric magnet to rip it out. Thought I was gonna go blind. You spend fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars on that. You gotta wear an eye patch and special eye drops. You're in pain for three weeks. Yep. You realize that eye protection was the best five dollars you ever spent in your entire life. Yep. My dad's only got one eye. And so I heard about it, you know, growing up long before I considered being a mechanic, but it was just, you know, forefront of my mind, like, okay, if I'm doing something, I I should have something protecting my eyes. And yeah, it's not, it's not worth it. The way that the, my uh, coworker presents it to the students coming in, he's like, would anyone right here give me their eyeballs for a million dollars? And I think majority of the time no one goes for that and he's like okay well why wouldn't you put on a five dollar pair of safety glasses because obviously the kids are the ones that are always have them up here or they're down here and so that's uh i am the a thorn in everyone's side out in the shop to wear their safeties and i and i will say like i don't like the safety glasses to to look at something so if the engine yeah, it sucks. But if the engine's off and I'm not doing anything, I may take them off to get a better look, right? But if I'm doing something where I have any risk of something going in my eye, they're on. Yeah. It, the only time I don't wear them to this day is doing dashboard work. I cannot stand laying on a carpet upside down and trying to take a dashboard out with a freaking safety glasses on. <laughs> uh, I, I will have the dirt fall on my eyes a million times before I put them on. I don't know why it is, but it is. Um, I just, I, I feel like I already can't see in the dashboard because it's so dark and there's a thousand bolts and then you got <laughs> crappy yeah. cheap safety glasses. Uh, so being honest, I don't wear them all the time, but... I see guys with grinders and body shops, and they're hacking a, you know, quarter panel. No safety glasses. I won't even walk by them without safety glasses on because I'm like, you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that scares me. At least we don't have uh, remember the fix what fans what they call those blades that flexed so you could get better fuel mileage back in the day. They were thin and at higher RPM they'd flatten out so they had less resistance blades on the cooling system they like bolted to the water pump and the oh, blades boys. you don't know what i'm talking about yeah, right i know um... there's a and and for a while they were like all the rage because you get a little bit more horsepower out of them because at higher rpms they straightened out and they were like some kind of aluminum alloy well the problem was is they were so springy eventually it would snap and the blade would go through like the hood of the car <laughs> what kind of car was this on it was it, it was, was the aftermarket fan yeah. blades. That's how oh, they made them. Oh, okay, okay. I, yeah, I can't. I don't know the name. So, so the reason I bring it up is I was working at my first shop, and you know it was 2005. So the car still had that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, we put a fan on a car, and the customer complained that it had some weird vibration. Well, I had started up. I was rev- reaching across a fan, revving the motor up. <laughs> And the next thing I hear is just, doosh! And I was like, what was that? And the car started shaking. 
boss <laughs> ran over and turned it off. And I look up and there's a hole through the hood and up in the wooden rafter above me is a piece of the fan blade. And I'm thinking, yeah, don't ever reach across a fan blade again because if if that would if I would have been leaning over the other way, that would have been the end of me. Like that fan blade didn't care. <laughs> I watched so, a couple guys. I think it was doing, called Flex Fan. I don't flex it might be just a flex fan. I watched a couple guys at Firestone getting a, a pressed in ball joint out. And they got the ball joint press and they've got the biggest impact in the shop running on this thing and it will not go. And then there's another guy over there holding the torch over to this thing and it's just and this ball joint's not going and not going. And they're all kind of like standing around, you know, one's holding the ball joint press, one's running the impact, one's got the torch. Well, the cap for the ball joint goes not the the ball joint still didn't even come out of this knuckle. It was, I, I don't know if they had the, I think they had the pieces set up wrong, so they were just pushing on the press, but the cap eventually <laughs> went <laughs> and it came out like a bullet out of this thing and just barely missed this guy's head. I mean, if it would have had him serious injury or death for sure. Um, and it, I don't know, it's stuck in the wall or something like that. Cause it just was, and it was like a bomb going off. So yeah, you never know what's going to happen in this industry, especially if you're doing steering suspension exhaust work it's it's dangerous at times if you're not careful i mean we all pick on the guy for being safety conscious but in the back of our heads we're going yeah we're picking on you but damn it good job (laughs) you know but (laughs) i think it's like just this industry to pick on them but i mean i saw a car fall off a lift um when i first started in this career to this day when i put a car in the lift it comes up one inch, and I get on the closest tire, and I shake that sucker as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. I raise it a yep. foot off the ground. I shake it again. I check all the lift points. It takes me 15 minutes to put a car in the air. Everybody makes fun of me, and I'm like, you know what? Never dropped a car. Yeah. And you That's know, one I you know. can get complacent with because you do it so many times every day. Every day. It's so easy to miss that rusty pinch weld. Yep. What, what's rust? Or the pickup truck that you don't, you've gotten away with lifting improperly and probably because you may not have the quite the right hoist for it. So you've been lifting it improperly for not just that one, but trucks in general, pickup trucks, light duty pickup trucks for, you know, years. But then that one time there's either a bunch of stuff from the bed that you didn't check or the frame is rusted enough that now it's an issue and she folds in half on the hoist or the stuff in the box rolls to the back and now the truck does a wheelie on the hoist and slides down i've seen both of those that way yikes yeah so don't don't feel bad if people make fun of you for being safe like jack stands if i'm working on a car like i I, it sounds really dumb because we have lifts, but there's been times where like I'll just take the tire off and sit down on the ground and do ball mm-hmm. joints, right? Because I just found it enjoyable to sit with my butt on the ground, legs apart, knock out the ball joints right there. And and I'd, my, I'd have guys come by, oh, look at you with two jack stands, Mr. Safety. Yeah, damn right. I ain't losing my leg over this. Uh, if you stay on the Facebook groups long enough, you'll see one or two guys a year get killed yep. because they didn't put a jack stand under a car. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's an old video. It's like faces of death or something like that. Or yeah, dude gets crushed by car. I want to call BS on scary. those, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true what you're saying in real life. That uh, I don't know so much about the movie. Yeah, but, uh, uh, it's, yeah the it's, movie it's, series. 
Yeah, right, right. That crocodile one. Just, I don't know. Now I got to Google this crocodile. Yeah, I don't don't remember the crocodile one, so I'll check that out. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe that. There, there's a croc in a pond or something, and me, maybe it was an alligator. I don't know, but the cops are out there, the sheriff's department, and they got a hook, and I don't know if they got it baited or what, but he gets a hold of it and he starts pulling it in, and that thing jerks him into the water, and then of course kills him. Which (laughs) I don't know. I, I. not generally how it works out and um i don't know i just think it was kind of bs okay what you're saying is i am uh so the first place i worked at guy brings in a t-bird so it would have been what probably a late 80s thunderbird okay i'm gonna check ignition timing but i can't see the mark on the balancer so you jack up the front and roll under it and mark it with a paint pen. And of course, I don't put a jack stand under it. And that's not what would have killed me. It's the customer was there watching and the mark is on the wrong side. So I yell for my boss to just bump the engine over a couple times. The customer mm-hmm. takes it upon themselves. Like, oh, I can do that. I'm sure they could have. But unfortunately, they felt like they... The, the jack was kind of in their way, so they moved it. Oh, no. When they moved it, it twisted it, and it dropped the car on me. And the only thing that really saved me was my boss heard this as the car came down on my chest, and I'm on a, a creeper. Yeah. He hears that. So he comes on over, and the guy's like, what, what? He's like, he's got him crushed. Holy so, I wasn't, you know, I had never really felt in danger. I wasn't hurting. I guess I had a pretty good bruise the next day across my chest, but yeah, you know, I don't want, I don't want to draw over dramatize it. Like I didn't, I wasn't laying under there going like, okay, this is it. Things are going dark. That, and that never occurred, but uh, I suppose it could have. Yeah, oh, well, it easily could, right? Yeah, I mean, if you sit there long enough, I'm sure. Yeah, but... so I, <laughs> now I make a habit of using jack stands and don't have customers help. Even if I, I didn't, it's not like I asked the guy to help. But if now if a customer is like, oh, I can do that, I'm getting out from under there and getting the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> well, that's good advice too. Yeah, don't don't get help from customers. <laughs> or man, so certain employees can... <laughs> or yeah. fellow employees i should say or co-workers uh another thing i learned about customers is to ask them if there's oddities about their old car so i had a uh car I was programming a pcm in, and it was a stick shift well they didn't bother to tell the shop that the bushings were worn out in the shifter well, i've driven a stick shift my whole life so i grabbed it oh yeah it's in neutral i hit the key oh. It's in gear. It runs forward, hits the classic car that's on the lift in front of it. Oh, no. I'm going, what the fuck? It's in neutral. And and the and the owner of the shop comes over. He grabs it. Yeah, it's in neutral. And he's like, oh, it must have a bad clutch or something. And he's like, don't worry, it's not your fault. A customer comes in and he's like, hey man, there's something wrong with your clutch. He goes, oh no, the pushings are worn out. So you just it, unless you know to physic, and he's just like. That's something really important to tell your shop. So now when I see an older car come into shop, when I was there, it was like, hey, is there any oddities with your old cars, the shifter worn out or anything odd? 
because it was a pretty expensive repair that day. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you have to ask the customers. Like, your service writer has to know to ask. Like, hey, is there anything odd about your car that we need to know about? And if there is, the customer knows. And they're not even embarrassed to tell you. They're like, oh, hell yeah, man, my shifter's worn out. <laughs> Feels like it's yeah. in neutral all the time. Yep. So, yeah. If I was to add another one, it's something that, that maybe doesn't quite pertain to me anymore, but could have years ago. Unfortunately, I didn't learn about it until, I don't know, two, three months ago. Uh, Robert... Dutch Silverstein was on, huh, I want to say it was on here, but I could be wrong. I, I he was on here like a long time well, ago. But he was talking about something very specific, and I, I feel like he was telling it to Sean. I'm almost positive now. It's It was on this show, talking to Sean, and it was just, I think it was just him, and talking about documenting as a, as a technician, as an employee, what you bring to the table and not, not no ego, just get your ego out of it, but you hand out referrals referred to so-and-so, or you handed out a business card and you write your name on the back and you, you know, if you, if you can get the customer's name, great. But these referrals, um, booking this kind of time, putting these kind of hours, just kind of document what you're bringing to the table and then you can go in and discuss, you know, during your, your reviews or uh, if you have to kind of force the issue of a review or if you're uh, looking at other employment that you kind of have some stuff to back up what you bring to the business to make it money. Cause that's the other thing, right? Your job too often is like, well, what's your job? Oh, I fix cars. No, your job is to make the business money. Mm -hmm. Ethically, make money. And, you know, your job primarily is probably to fix cars or diagnose cars or maybe you have something very specific. You're the alignment guy, something of that nature. But it's to, what can I do to make this facility more profitable? And therefore, then hopefully that finds its way into my pocket. And, you know, I think, Bob, uh, and Robert's or uh, Dutch, his uh, example was if I refer this job, this four wheel brake job, Mr. Owner, Mr. Boss, Mr. Service Advisor, because I referred that it would make sense that I would be the one to get this, you know, especially if you're on like commission flat rate, uh, it would only make sense. So I guess I, I wish early on college, just out of college to learn how to document that stuff and advocate for myself. You know, not that I'm in a bad place now, but I think along the way it was rockier than it should have been. And if I was better prepared and had certain things in place, written down, documented to go in and make a, a very professional business like, um, pitch that things could have been better yet. Yeah. And I, I would say that I think that was really, really good advice. I got too far, far too late in life. It was, was that on your show? I'm almost positive. Yeah. I thought it was that, just that him was and you. Dutch. Okay. Yep. And then you were talking about at Firestone. 
Yeah. Okay. So when I was at Firestone, um, we um, had these reports that you could pull up and it was mainly for service writers, but we all had access to the computers, but very few techs actually knew how to like go in there, access, and you pull up all this whole spreadsheets of your numbers based on what you were doing, you know, how long you were there every day, what you flagged, you break it down each day, each week, month, whole year, um, and all these different percentages and numbers and stuff, which is really cool. And barely anybody besides the people running the show and making the decisions even knew to look at those, but it was really beneficial to at least be aware of where you're at. Like, what is my, um, you know, effective labor rate? What is my productivity level and all that stuff? Just so, yeah, when you, when push comes to shove, you've got that, you you print these off, you can save them in your toolbox and obviously flat rates, not everything, but, um, um, you know what I wish I would have learned kind of on your, how to interview. Yeah. So I'm a very honest interviewer. They're like, Hey, can you fix a diesel? I'm like, and they're like, what's the, I'm like, can I, (laughs) there's a high probability of it. Will I? Well, that's another story, you know? Um, but I never learned how to interview. And, And the other thing I, I, I like, despite my persona on Facebook, I don't like conflict. Right, like I'll argue with you all day on Facebook because I don't care. But when it's you and I face to face, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to argue with you. I just want to go eat a burger, drink a Mountain Dew, and talk about how bad cars suck to work on. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want to do. So I don't handle conflict well. And 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 believe it or not, it's something I still struggle with. And Dutch has been helping me um, in my business. If if you owe me money, I just don't show up anymore. I'm like, ah, forget it. He's like. Write him an email, show up, mail him the bills again, right? Go get paid. (laughs) And I'm like, "Eh, it's 500 bucks. I don't care, right? Like I'll just throw $500 away. Like it's it's $5 and he's like, you're an idiot. So um, I really wish somebody would have taught me that it's okay to have a disagreement, conflict with your boss and how to handle it because there is a way to handle it properly, ethically, morally. And, and to keep that ground of, hey, you're the boss, but I disagree with you on this. Let's work through this together and still have a relationship to where I can work here peacefully. But then there's also the thing of the interview where you're it's almost the same issue where you're in a conflict with them because you're trying to brag, but you don't want to over brag. Because if you over promise and under deliver, you're going to piss everybody off. But mm-hmm. I very much under promise and then way over deliver and I can't ever get a proper pay raise. So there, there is a balance to both those and you need to learn that skill early on. Yep. No, I think that's really good advice. I just, I just have no idea how to tell you how to learn that skill. Cause here I am, you know, like 18 years later in this industry and I still suck at them. Well, yeah. Interviews in our industry aren't very formal very often. So you don't learn those skills. It's just show up. Like you got your own tools. Uh, how long you been doing this? What do you got for ACs? Okay. When do you want to start? And that's it. You know, that was my interviews in shops. Yeah. They almost want to use a probationary period just to see if you can go. And you know, if you can, you're probably all right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to really determine that in an interview, like, you know, unless you're really focusing on the personality and cultural type aspects of bringing someone onto a team but 
I think it's getting to the point where a lot of that stuff is getting your shops are looking the other way. They just need, I don't, I don't want to say warm bodies. I don't know if they, the ones that just want warm bodies, that's a bad deal, but they're looking for somebody that can come in and of course work and back to the same stuff I talked about before, right? Find the shop every morning on time and, uh, you know, it be prepared to work and um, quality and all that stuff and, and probably just a willingness and uh, capability to improve that um, that's what they're looking for. But it's hard to figure that out in an interview because everybody's got those stories where it was the worst interview I've ever conducted, but I needed somebody. So I hired them and they end up being a superstar. And then the other side of it is, man, you know, I went to all these training classes to learn how to conduct interviews. And this thing, this person hit all the boxes, like this instant hire gave them all the money they wanted and they sucked. They were terrible. Yeah. So it's, it's really almost, you know, do I get a good feel from you? Yeah. All right. Let's see if you can go. And I don't know, you know, the rules or laws, whatever <clears throat> will uh, be probably different state to state. I think Minnesota is 90 days and we're going to use that to find out if you can really go and how you mesh. And before, if you're not going to make it, we can kind of cut ties with little to no uh, issues or um uh what a red tape or uh, repercussions uh, after that it can get a little more dicey yeah and it's funny you mentioned that because probably about year four in my career um i had all my ases i was doing pretty well there was a city job mechanic come open and i knew the, the deputy fire chief and I fixed his cars and he's like, man, you need to apply it. I'm like, I'm not going to get the job, man. There's people way more experienced than I am. Oh, you should apply. Fine. I'll apply. Well, he went and sent an email to the guy, you know, who was in charge of the maintenance program. Hey, it's a young kid. He's good. He's smart. He's got a college degree. Like you really ought to consider him. He goes, I have lunch with him. He's a good friend of mine. If you give him an interview, I bet you'd hire him. So I went and sat, did the interview, because, of course, I got me an interview. And my buddy called me after the interview the next day, and he goes, we got to talk. I'm like, why? He goes, that guy said you were the worst interviewed person he's had in 20 years. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, why? And he said, you were too honest. Like, he asked if you'd ever work on big, heavy equipment, and you said no. He's like, you, you just don't say no. You're supposed to say, well, at this time, I don't have much experience with it, right? Not just no. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's, that's lying. Like, but so what's funny is, is they hired the other guy from my shop who answered it all correctly. He was there two weeks in and quit. Cause uh, he knew the, the end was near. And, and what's funny is, is now I go to that garage to do mobile work and diagnose cars. And the guy who interviewed me, it's now a running joke. Like, yeah, the kid I should have hired was the worst interview I've ever had in 20 years. So now when he interviews people, he's like, well, I know everybody said that guy sucked in an interview, but he's probably damn good at fixing cars. So I'm going to hire him. So now he actually does his interview the opposite. When the other business guys, because it was like the maintenance 
department supervisor, you know, some office person, and you know, some HR. He's like, when they want to hire the person, I tell them no. And I pick the guy that they don't like because he always turns out well. So <laughs> it's kind of funny that it's worked out that way in my small town, but that's just the way it is. And it's just, it's just like a first date, right? Like some people are just awkward as hell on the first date. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. <laughs> you know, It might work out great, but you're trying to sell the best version of yourself. So you never know what somebody's actually going to turn out to be like once you actually work with them every day. Well, yeah, especially the <clears throat> first few you do after a while, you probably just don't care. You're going to be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am. Take it or leave. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, rough too and callous in some ways but yeah and the older you get the less you care what people think about you that's that's another downfall i mean when you're when you're 20 years old you really want to impress everybody when you hit 34 uh you're just like oh oh you're going for world certified ase good for you call me in five years let me know if you made it because i guarantee you're gonna give up like Unless you're super driven, most people shoot for the moon to land um, land upon the stars. But I'm like, there's no stars between Earth and the moon, so just give up now. <laughs> I feel like Matt's in deep conversation with himself over here. No, I'm just trying to think of like the other stuff. You know, like I don't want to be negative. You know, what I wish I would have known. Because... You know, you went to college too, for you know, or whatever tech college. I went to tech college. 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 I went to college, college, and then I went to college, college again. (laughs) Right, but for auto repair, and Sean's a instructor, and in a way, I I felt like I was sold kind of a line of BS. And but the thing is, that was then. Now it might not be so. What was um, inaccurate? You don't know even. What what I mean? Was the line of BS you were sold? Oh, the income levels. Oh, see, I never heard that. Yeah. Um, so I went to U- Universal Technical Institute (UTI). Um, I went to Bible College, and then I have an I have an engineering degree. So to me, mechanics was my backup plan in case engineering didn't work out. But I was in in church helping out, and they needed a part time employee. And since I was paying for engineering school, working part-time at a church was great, right? Because super flexible hours, mostly on the weekends when there isn't college. (laughs) (laughs) So they ended up helping – they ended up convincing me to go to Bible college to get that degree. And so, like, it's funny that my backup plan turned into my first – turned into my career choice and not the other two. That I spent a boatload of money to learn. Um, But the income, I just always assumed, was super low because – I don't know a guy who works on cars that drives a Lamborghini unless he owns shops. I, I mean, I knew mechanics that did well for themselves, not saying they're driving Lamborghinis, but you know, they, they were doing well. And then, you know, the numbers they're spouting off and my parents are kind of like, that's a really good living. Uh, You should pursue that. And then I, you know, get into it and then, you know, like you, 
it was going to be more of a backup. It was going to be more of a fault. This is something to fall back on. Like cars are always going to break. They're going to need people to fix them. You know, no aspirations going in about electronics or diagnostics. It really didn't know anything about that until, you know, the first week or two of school and seeing this, that scan tool uh, and seeing the, uh, <laughs> it was um, OTC easy event. Um, so that's a, a graphing yourself. program. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't matter. I mean, they had an old freaking sun machine. That's not, that wasn't the modern piece of equipment at the time, but the school had one. So it doesn't necessarily date, but everybody knows I'm dated regardless. And <laughs> <laughs> but that right. And that's when the, like that fire was lit that wait, like, wait, I want to know about this. And I was very intrigued. So that that's how that went. But to, just to join the program and all that and, and having the instructors showing these, uh, you know, news clip, cl- um, newspaper clippings and whatnot and different ads like you get. So now you got them telling you like, hey, you can make there's a really bright future in auto repair for you. And your parents looking at the numbers going like, geez, that's <laughs> that'd be a really good living kiddo. And then you get into the real world and it's not anything like that. But the thing is, is I don't know that that's so accurate nowadays. It's still accurate. I don't, I can't name five techs that I personally know I could go touch that make a hundred grand a year. It's tough, but it's, it it is out there. Maybe more by you that would, because the cost of living is probably a little bit higher than down here. Closer to the cities, right? And that's what I found yeah. too. If I go into the Twin Cities, that's where the money is. If I'm, you know, thirty miles north, you're easily making three, four dollars less an hour. I'm in Orlando, and I can't name people making a hundred grand a year. Wow. You know, like now, I will say this: there's a shop I go to. It's a it's a body shop, a big corporate deal. And and there's a Spanish guy. He always calls me Poppy. I don't. It's got to be a Spanish thing, I guess. <laughs> he's like, "Hey, Poppy, come here," because because he he's one of them guys that if I need a bumper off, whether he did the job or not, you hand him five bucks, he'll take the bumper off for you, right? Like he doesn't care, and he's good. Um, not so good at putting connectors together, <laughs> but he's a good body <laughs> tech, right? So I'm like, "What's up?" He goes, "Dude, I going on vacation." And I was like, "Oh yeah." He goes. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm going to go race my car. And he just finished putting together uh, a drift car. And I'm like, oh, go have a good time. So he came back and he's like, hey, man, let me show you my paycheck while I was on vacation. Because, you know, you just average your hours out. He made more on vacation in one week than I did working for myself in my business in two weeks. And I was like, dude, how much money do you make? And he goes, oh, I don't know, I do okay. I'm like, how much money do you make? He goes, oh, I made 158 last year. And I'm like, do what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. And so I, I'm friends with the manager, and I pulled, you know, I went to the manager's office. And I'm like, that guy made 158. And he's like, oh, he's gonna break 175 this year. And I'm like, how? He goes, oh, well, he's here a lot on Saturdays by himself. If there's like a 50, 60 hour hit. He'll come sit here on Friday night, work by himself, get the car ready to go to paint on Monday. So Monday, he's already got 65, 70 hours in because he's here all weekend. Yeah. But he's single. He he just wants to build race cars. 
and he has no kids. So he can make that kind of money. But I don't know anybody making that money that's like you and I. You know, they're married. They've got kids. They actually want to come home. <laughs> like, that's my problem. And and I can name shops where I know somebody's probably making that, right? Like, I know Dutch probably has a guy making that. I know Seth Thorsten's probably got a couple guys making that easy, right? I can name quality shops that have it. But when I hear guys going, oh, yeah, the average pay in the automotive industry is 85000 a year, I'm like, for what, the 10 people you surveyed? Like, right. <laughs> where did you come up with that? Yeah, that's the thing, too, is those numbers. You got to know where they came from. How did they get to that? Because depending on where you look, they're skewed arbitrarily or not arbitrarily, but they're skewed low artificially, maybe. And in some cases they could be skewed high, but usually they end up being skewed low because the term technician is encompasses everything from quote unquote, a tech down to quote unquote, C D tech, lube tech, tire tech. So it just tanks the numbers. Um, I, I don't know what they, you know, electricians, plumbers and all that, where they have the actual designations of apprentice journeyman master the numbers are a little more accurate and they tend to seem higher, but it just seems like recently, maybe in the last, I don't know, 10 is probably a little long that the, the technician uh, auto technician, at least hourly rates are starting to climb more in line. I, they got a ways to go. I'm not saying it's all sunshine and rainbows, but they seem to be, moving in the right direction and but flat rate seems to be kind of going to the wayside in favor of uh, at least a base <clears throat> base rate with some sort of a bump for either productivity or shop profit or something of that nature but but hourly shop rates are have gone through the roof yep. so i service a bunch of dealers um and we sent a car an alfa romeo julia the little BMW 3 Series, Alfa Romeo. Uh, the guy parks it in his garage. He's an airplane pilot. And he was doing all his training to get recertified because of COVID. He was gone for like 10 weeks. Rats got in and chewed up his ABS modules. So he put an insurance claim. No deal. We put it in. Well, they, you know, they want a pressure blade, but the pressure bleeder, da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Sent it over to the dealer. The insurance company called me the next day. Hey, man, uh, how much you want to do them brakes? Bleed them. I said, well, I... I I'd have to get the tools, da da da, and they're like, they want two hundred and seventy-five dollars an hour to bleed them brakes, and they said it was going to take X amount of hours. It was a twenty-two hundred dollar bill. I'm like, how is bleeding brakes like ten hours? And the guy's like, well, how much is that tool going to cost you to buy it? And I was like, well, I don't know. Well, I have a pressure pot. I knew I probably had the adapter sitting at home. I just didn't want to do it. And I'm like, listen, eighteen hundred bucks, I'll do it. He's like, okay. Towed the car rates. What the towed the car back <laughs> over to me. I put it on the lift, set up the scan tool, followed the procedures in Ytech. I was done in 40 minutes. And I was like, hump, 1800 bucks, because that's what he agreed to. Hand on my bill. 275 an hour. Um my wife has a 2020 Ford Explorer. And so I took it in to get an oil change. And the guy asked about air filter. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. What's uh next time I'll ask. They're at one ninety nine ninety five an hour. 
just installing the air filter was like 40 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, the, I will take out the four screws myself next time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, if the shop's getting 200 bucks an hour, there's no reason the tech shouldn't make 30 or 40 an hour flat rate. I mean, there's no reason not to. I mean, I get insurance is going up, cost of tooling's going up, right? These these dealers are now starting to gear towards the EV. Their expenses are going up. But at the same time, these techs have to know so much crap. I mean, we were joking around about you you working on vacuum-controlled fuel injectors. I'm working on 21 Mach-E's, so I have to know how that works. I could care less to remember how a fuel injector works, right? But that poor tech at Ford has to know every Ford from the dawn of existence and fix it. I don't even know if that's true because the dealers in town, they send that older stuff to us. The, they don't have anybody there that knows how TBI works. Oh, that's funny. Maybe very recently, especially the the uh, General Motors garage, but the others, you know, they've sent they've sent me some uh, late '90s, early 2000s EVAP issues, um, stuff like that. And and I, I I think I could list off a few things. And it's not like a chest thumping thing. It's just their focus is <sighs> warranty, and the customer pays stuff in that, you know, what twelve to fifteen year range. Sure. It starts going beyond that. They don't want nothing to do with it. They don't have the, I don't think the GM garage has a tech one anymore. Um, I'm sure they have a tech two, the Ford garage. They don't have an NGS anymore. Uh, you know, or not that WDS would offer much of any coverage beyond IDS and FDRS and the Chrysler. Chrysler does not have a DRB three. So I've got oh, a really? lot of work. Um, yeah, or a lot is a relative word. I, I that I shouldn't even say that. I've gotten work from the Chrysler dealer involving the DRB3 or have lent them my DRB3 in exchange for favors down the road. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that they care uh, about that stuff anymore. And But totally, totally going in line with what you're saying is in hiring apprentice techs no no arrogance whatsoever on my part i i i'm trying to say this as humbly as possible and it's not just me just any of us how much crap you know and how you forget how much you know and not to take that and let your head swell up but just you think about all the questions either print all the questions these apprentice techs ask you whatever it may be drum breaks and you go over there and you you know the answer. It, and take it from any level you want. Mounting and balancing tires, road force balancing tires, and understanding what the road force is telling you, what the value is, and then finding or checking at least the for bent rim. And then to the brakes, to the suspension, how to do a strut, uh, be it the one you got to take out and put into a strut or spring compression machine, or you know, GM had those ones where you take the the top off and you'd slide the <laughs> cartridge out through yeah. the top. But we know that crap, and the tricks you all know of with exhaust and um, using a torch to kind of blast uh, slots to open it up to slide a pipe out and slide the new one in, and uh, just we could keep going and going and going from mechanical into electrical and diagnostic tricks 
you know, just blowing, uh, an, he's not an apprentice, but one of my, uh, techs who's mainly doing alignments right now and undercar stuff, but he really likes, uh, Diag. He wants to get more into that. So he's got a vehicle in that's got a misfire Chevy pickup idle misfire on one bank. And I walk over and look at the data and I just say to him, like, the answer is right there. And I walk away. And it's not to be a douche. I'm not trying to be a jerk to the guy. I'm not trying to be douchey at all. But I want him to look at the data. And I don't expect him to figure it out. And he doesn't because it's asking a lot. And he comes over and he's like, okay, I don't know what you're looking at. So we go back over and I said, just for fun, reset field trims. So go and do that. Boom. Car or truck in this case, purrs like a kitten. And then, you know, what, five minutes later, missing like crazy on, in this case, bank one. And it's like, look at your field trims. They're not bank one is skewed very, very lean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at your O2 sensors, pre and post cat. How is that even possible to, at the numbers? So I got one, the, the pre-cat one is really, really high, just railed high. And I think like that 900 millivolts high, like one and a half volts high. And it's just stuck. And the pre-cat, or sorry, the post-cat sensor is down around zero. It's really close to zero. I said, how is that even possible? It can't happen. <laughs> right. So what's broke? Pre-cat or post-cat? And there's really two ways you could arrive at that. One is the post-cat probably doesn't have that much authority so that you could get there that way. Or the fuel trims. Like, is this is the thing dumping fuel or is it pulling fuel back? And you know, it's, well, no, it's going way lean. Okay, well, the post-cat OT sensor is reflecting that. What do you think's going on? Bad sensor. How has it failed? Probably heater, O2 sensor heater leakage, you know, onto the signal wire. If you measured it with a meter or scope, it might be way higher than a volt and a half because, you know, the PCM is only going to report whatever. You just start thinking about all that and let run with that. And not even arrogantly. We know a lot of stuff. It's insane. Um, the, the, the last thing I would say is, I wish somebody would told me to come in on my day off or stay late, come in early and hang out with a guy who's 85 years old, buy him a lunch and say, Hey, look, man, can you, can you tell me something cool this week that you did? Or, Hey, can I watch you do this car? Or, Hey, can I do that car for you? And you show me how to do it yep. because the only way you're going to learn is by giving something. And, and the new generation coming in doesn't want to deal with the old techs because they feel like they're just some grumpy old asshole. But what the problem is, is they've spent $100,000 in tools. They've been way underpaid their whole life. They've done, got chewed up, spit out. Their bodies hurt because they didn't know about the health and safety that we talked about. Right? So they've got three huge negative factors going in. Then they got some punk ass kid who just wants to play on his iPhone all day going, hey man, how come I can't make any money? Well, yeah, they ain't going to like you. But if you give them a cheeseburger and, and say, hey man, I know you got to pull that trainee out. Can I, can I do that for you? And 
but I'll do it. But as I do it, I want you to walk me through it, and I'm going to ask you questions, and you got to answer them. I guarantee you that guy will go, sure, no problem. You can even use my tools. And you're going to learn more in that day off or coming in three hours early than you will spending a week in the shop doing something. I agree. That's uh, It's almost like networking. Yeah. On, on yeah. a yep. uh, much more local level, but. Uh, you know, I, I found networking almost accidentally, but nobody, uh, it was never like coached into me to try to form networks right away, you know, with co you know, fellow students or coworkers, and then expanding that network, attending training, trying to keep expanding that network, using social media to keep expanding that network. Um, but that's like, extremely important. Yeah, I I wish that was something I would have done more of was hang out with the old guys. Yeah, and yeah, I not to that's not to trump what you're saying because that's uh, this is t- like like my little rant that basically justifying what you're saying about pay rates based off uh, labor rates going up that the wages start reflecting that more and more. Um, not that they totally aren't, but that you know it still needs ways to go that. I mean, the knowledge levels are, it's pretty ridiculous. And then to, to glean that stuff off the old guard, uh, because this trade has never been that great about, I don't, I don't know if rewarding is quite the right word, but at least not punishing somebody for taking a younger tech under their wing. You know what I mean? Like some of Mm -hmm. the other trades, it seems, um, especially like construction, uh, but even electricians and plumbers, it seems like, you know, the new guy comes on, the apprentice tech comes on or apprentice, I should say comes on and whatever the personality attracts one of the, um, you know, old dogs or whatever veteran professionals. And they're like, Hey boss, you know, let me take the new kid under my wing. Let, let, let me, I'll take the new kid with me now. And they just kind of take that person under the wing and they try to show them whatever that may be framing, roofing, you know, plumbing, high voltage, electrical, whatever, you know, whatever that is, um, pipe bending that, that doesn't happen so much in our world because like, I, I think I've said before, it seems like we've been so scared to charge an hourly rate and stick to it and try to get paid for the amount of time we spend on vehicles legitimately, right? You know, we're going to get beat on a few where we're, the shop's kind of eating a little bit of quote unquote on the job training. But for the most part, when we can justify getting paid, we should be getting paid that we've shifted that over onto the tech shoulders to produce. And it's not work 40 hours, produce 35 to 45 hours. It's, you know, we really need 50, 60, 70 hours a week out of you. Uh, that's how you're going to get paid well. And that's how the shop's going to make money. And that, in a way that's broken because now who the hell has time to take the new guy under their wing? Well, I, I can't, I'm going to get hammered here. I'm not starving over you, kiddo. Yep. Yeah. And that's just it, right? So every time I see a post, oh, I'm looking for an ATAC. First question I always have is what's well, an ATAC? Yeah. yeah that's Without- a rough question. Without fail.
fail 95 percent of times oh you know a guy who could turn 75 80 hours a week and he's here oh, 35 yeah. yeah that's not an a tech that's a robot right like yeah hand me brake jobs all day i'll turn 100 hours for you no yep. problem let me give you this 2021 Corvette that's got a misfire on cylinder number three, and you're going to spend four hours reading how it works. Well, that's an ATAC, right? So, and in in the other industry, so so my stepdad is a master electrician, so he did electrical his whole life. My real dad is a construction worker, and all my brothers do construction. Um, it's funny because when I talk to them, they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, I started this new job. I got to learn this new process and." This grumpy old guy's making me do all this BS work, but but you know what the difference is in their industry versus ours? Both of them are getting paid their hourly rate. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. so that old guy's getting his thirty seven, thirty eight bucks an hour. The young kid's still getting his fifteen to eighteen bucks an hour, and the job's just eating it because they know that in six months my brother is going to be able to do pretty darn good job at what the old guy could do is he going to do it as fast or as efficient no but could he do that job relatively yes right so let's say it's making a stair a a staircase out of out of framing well is my brother going to be fast at it no is he going to cut every piece perfect like the old guy no is it going to take him longer yes but they can now send him to a job and do a staircase the old guy can do a staircase they've doubled their income we're in the automotive industry. It doesn't work like that. It's, oh, here's a new guy. There's a Lubrac. Well, what do you want me to do? Oh, change oil and find stuff that's broken. Well, how does he know what to find that's broken unless somebody shows him? <laughs> right. Right? So then the, – and then the kid just has to learn on his own, and then you're stuck in this caveat of, well, I only turned 12 hours this week as a lube tech, and I made 50 bucks, and, and I owe the two tr- tool truck 100 so they don't stay. It's – the whole industry is just screwed up that way. Yeah, or, or somehow the the veteran tech. So I know some programs are, you know, shop programs will say <clears throat> that the uh, if the veteran tech takes a apprentice, if you will, a green tech under their wing, that they get the the you know, of course, the veteran tech's hours that he turns or she, they also get the hours that the young person or the new person or the green person or the apprentice turns, but they're still taking the risk, which doesn't make any sense to me because they're pretty sure their name's not on the sign outside. So it seems like the wrong, the wrong entity is taking that risk. That should be all on the business. They should be making that investment, not the veteran tech, not saying that, you know, we as veteran techs shouldn't, try to pay it forward or pay it back, however you want to look at and try to help groom the next crop. You know, I think that's only right too, but I don't, I don't think we need to be taking risks and having uh, our financial situations. (laughs) Yeah. Changed to do it because what's the upside, you know, why not just make it right. And then the shop can reap the rewards down the road rather than you know trying to figure out how the tech's going to make his money back training this tech up like oh oh yeah you turned him into a good tech well you can keep drawing on them for another 6 months that that should make things right that just seems odd to me why not just the the business takes the risk mm-hmm. and then down the road reaps the rewards of hopefully having 2 3 4 whatever number of 
stellar technicians of whatever levels of special, you know, levels or speciality, specialties, specialities. That must be a Florida word. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I, I find it interesting because being mobile now, I'll get a car that's odd and the text unspent, let's say seven, eight hours on it. Right. And, and the only thing the tech knows is the damn car is blue. Right. (laughs) It's a damn blue car and it's damn broken. Right. And he's swearing, he's yelling. And I come over and I spend 20 minutes on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I found this wire. It was broken here. Well, how'd you find it? When I first started six years ago, seven years ago in my business, man, I didn't have a lot of cars. I'd spend two hours walking through it, explain wiring diagrams. Now I'm like, well, if you want to know, take a day off ride with me. You know, nobody's ever taken that up. Not one person. And it's just funny because it's like sometimes I wonder if if they really care or if they're just hoping I have some magic bullet, right? Like, oh, I pulled out the OEM scanner and it showed me right where this wire was broken. No, that's not how it works. Um, a prime example of that this week was a guy called me and he wanted me to program a ECM in a Ford fusion with the three liter and we all know they have very fun v6 electrical problems and i told the guy on the phone i said listen man it's this price whether it fixes it or not i don't care you're paying i get there i ask him what's wrong with it without fail he goes oh i got these 10 electrical codes as soon as i clear them they come right back I looked at him and i said listen i'll make you a deal right now he goes what i said you actually diagnosed the car won't charge you a trip fee and i'll just leave so what do you mean? I said, PCM's not going to fix it. I said, it's not going to fix it. He goes, oh, you just program it. Okay. So I sat there and wasted my 20 minutes, <laughs> between 10 minutes, I've learned and programming it. Hit the key. And I'm like, oh, yep, guess it didn't fix it. Because I remember him telling me he had cam and crank codes, right? And so... Yeah. Turn the key off, hit it again, hit it again. Finally, like fourth time I tried to start it, it starts and it runs. I just leave it running. Well, sir, you owe me my money and it didn't fix it. Oh, can you diagnose it? No, no, I can't. <laughs> I have a very busy week. I told you this beforehand. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I got a $600 ECM in it. And I'm like, I gave you a scapegoat when I got here that I, w- that I didn't want to program it. I see this all the time. It wasn't going to fix it. That's not my problem anymore. And I kind of felt like a jerk, but at the same time, I'm like, you wanted to run a shop out of your house and you took on this job. That's like, I feel way less guilty leaving somebody who's taking on jobs. They should have said no to and, and just walking away. than a young kid who's going, well, my boss threw it to me and I got stuck. Right. And those are the guys that I'm like, Oh, fine. I'll show up late to the next job and I'll help. But if you're like a shop owner and you didn't say no or call in somebody to get some help, yeah, I have no care anymore. Uh, yeah, no, to you guys' point, uh, trying to get as much value out of your uh, the people you work with, whether they're older or just coworkers, just trying to get as much knowledge, uh, you know, from that close circle as you can, do it. And if somebody, yeah, somebody like Matt offers you a ride along, Go freaking take that up. I, I do that to, for my students too. I'm like, hey, you guys want to come along with? And uh, I've had a couple 
and it was pretty enjoyable for all parties involved, but I don't get too many um, I, that take me up on it. Yeah, I get people who email me all the time. I have a list like in Facebook of people who want to go on a ride along. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. But since I bought the van and I've been building out the van, like I don't want to take anybody till it's fully set up because part of the reason they want to go is to see how I set up a mobile van. And now I'm just like, oh, I need to wait till it's finished. And I've got like 300 hours in it and I have lost all motivation to finish it. So if you're listening to this and I told you, you're just going to have to wait till I get motivation back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's going to do it for today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed that discussion and got some really good information out of it. Um, and again, you know, this particularly benefits uh, the entry level person, the kid that's in school, somebody just starting out in the auto industry. And maybe that's you. Maybe it isn't. If it's not, uh, again, I encourage you to share this information or this episode with someone who is uh, so they can, again, avoid some pitfalls as they uh, progress through this career because hey it's hard enough as it is uh if we can uh save a little bit of struggle i think that's a good thing so uh other than that i want to thank everybody for listening to the show and all the great feedback i've been getting really enjoy interacting and talking with people that have reached out to me for real it's uh it's really been a privilege uh, to get to hear from people all over this industry so thank you again other than that let's get out there start fixing the world one car at a time <laughs>